Good morning. What can be better than watching the kids sing? Watching me sing <laughs> would be funnier. Uh, the kids are cute. You know, some of them, we have had four children, little children, and, and um, they're all big kids now. But when we'd put them up on stage for something like that, one or two of them would know all the moves, you know, and, and I mean, we're just spawed. The others would be like, you know, it's like, we practice this. Well, you know, anyway, they're, they're cute. Uh, there's two things I want to mention. Um, no, make that three. First of all, I had a great uh, day yesterday for the ladies and the tea, the holiday tea. Thank you to all those that made that possible. That was just a, a great gathering, and uh, uh, that was awesome, and we, our prayers were very much answered for that. Um, this time of year, we always talk about the gift. It's something that we as a church do. We, we collect funds and we give them away. And this year, we're giving them to two really important things. One is feed my starving children. Uh, in February, we will come together to assemble 108,000 meals, meals that are appropriate nutritionally for children that are starving to death. And uh, we are going to invite you in February to be with us to pack those meals, but first we have to buy them. And so we are collecting funds. That's part of, the, part of a $54,000 goal that we have to pay for those meals. And the other part of what that $54,000 is going to go to is uh, getting a, a church plant uh, that we have with uh, Brett and Aaron Weston in Centennial. It's going to be launching next fall. And we want to purchase them a lot of the things that a church plant needs kind of right out of the gate. Everything from microphones to children's ministry types of uh, necessities. Those of you, and there's only a handful these days who are with us in the early days of planting this church 30 plus years ago, you remember what it was like to set up. Barb, yeah, yeah, Linda, set up, tear down, you know, uh, set up the children's ministry. Uh, there's a lot of things that go into making that possible. And we want to provide those things for this church plant. So um, we're probably at about 15,000 um, towards that $54,000 goal. We're, we're right at about that amount. So if you haven't given, please give, please pray and consider whether God would have you participate in this, uh, this thing, the gift with us. Uh, one more announcement. This one is important, Christmas Eve. There's been some confusion around what we're doing at Christmas Eve. Um, Sunday, we will have one service. That's Sunday before Christmas Eve. And it will be our Christmas Eve service. Um, Monday, we will come back and do three more Christmas Eve services. And we know that that disrupts, for some of you, your kind of family rhythm. You would like to be here on Sunday and, and worship, and you'd like to come back um, on Monday and, and then celebrate uh, Christmas Eve. And so uh, in order for us to do that, we need more than 100 volunteers to pull that off because we'll need to do two services Sunday morning, and we'll need to do four services on Monday. And uh, we'll also need to resuscitate the staff after Monday. So um, make a long story short, that's why we've made this decision. This rotation on the calendar happens about once every seven years. And uh, when, when Christmas Eve and Sunday are back to back like that. Um, so we know that that's gonna require some of you to uh, adjust what you would typically do. And uh, we ask you to make that adjustment. And we, we hope that you're praying about, thinking about, and we'll actually bring your friends, maybe family members who wouldn't possibly normally 
come to church. We're going to be celebrating the birth of Jesus. But all those services, four services, um, will be a Christmas Eve service. Is that clear? We all good? Okay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather in this room with each other. We can sing songs that celebrate and remind us of what you did in sending your son to earth, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. And we uh, thank you, Father, for the opportunity to study. This is a, a big part of our Protestant tradition, being able to take time out to look at the scriptures, to ask you to help us understand them, and to ask you to change us because we study them. We want to internalize them. We want to be transformed, to be made more like Jesus. Would you do that this morning, Lord? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in a series leading up to Christmas where we're using a, a little prayer. It's called the Serenity Prayer. It's just a tool. It's just a kind of a spiritual tool that you can use. And some of us have been praying this together. So I thought we'd put the words up on the screen and I thought we would all say this together. So there's just the first part of the Serenity Prayer. The whole Serenity Prayer is a little longer. We're just going to say this together and you're going to say it out loud with me. So here we go. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, and the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. It's a good little tool to use. Uh, last week, we talked about getting the serenity to accept the things we couldn't change. And we looked at Mary, Mary's life. There were many things that came down Mary's uh, or into Mary's life that were things she couldn't change, and we saw how she embraced them. Uh, by faith and trusted in God. Uh, all week long, some of us have been kind of practicing that part of the serenity prayer. God, give me the serenity to accept frustrating traffic or the serenity to accept long lines at the store or the serenity to accept how old I am or the serenity to just kind of accept that things are not always the way I want them to be. There are all kinds of things that we can't change where we just need the serenity, the peace to accept them. Next week, we're going to be looking at the, that part of the prayer that says, God, give me wisdom to know the difference. That'll be important. I hope you can be with us next week. This week, we're going to take on that piece of the serenity prayer. Where do you get the courage to change something that God is calling you to change? That's our question this morning. Where do you get the courage to change something that God is calling you to change? It's kind of fascinating when you look at the Christmas story, the most frequent command given to the characters in all aspects of the Christmas story is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. In other words, have courage, have courage in this moment. Uh, you remember when Zechariah was visited by an angel, uh, he was going to be the father of John the Baptist. That's Zechariah, his wife, Elizabeth. And we're told this, we're told that Zechariah was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. He and Elizabeth have been praying for a son for a long, long time. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. And of course, John the Baptist. And then the message of God comes to Mary. This is what we looked at last week. And it's, it's the same thing. She experiences fear in the presence of this angel. And the angel says to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. 
And then the, the word of God or the call of God comes to the shepherds who are out in a field at night. And it's the same thing. They're terrified when angels appear before them. And they have all kinds of fear. And it says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And what everybody keeps hearing from the angel or the angels is don't be afraid. And you kind of have to ask why, what, what's going on here? What's the fear thing all about? Well, part of it, I think, is that we have a, a kind of non-biblical understanding of just what an angel is. They often get drawn as these soft, cherubic kinds of creatures, characters. But in the Bible, an encounter with an angel is always, in every instance, a very sobering, frightening event. C.S. Lewis said this in scripture, the visitation of an angel is always alarming. It has to begin by saying, fear not. You know, that's the first thing out of the angel's mouth. Uh, this is a Victorian angel right here you're looking at. Not very scary, not very scary. Uh, it looks as if it were about to say, there, there, you sweet little thing. I mean, you know, that's kind of what that angel looks like. But this is almost certainly not what a real angel looked like. We simply know that real angels were frightening. Uh, they're powerful, powerful creatures, majestic even. Uh, they are at times carrying weapons, weapons of war, shield, sword, and so. Uh, they often appear in the context of flames, pillar of fire, burning bush, angels show up. Uh, they could destroy an entire city or an army uh, just by, and this is the phrase you find in scripture, stretching out their hands. And somehow the stretching out their hands is the way the Bible describes destruction, destruction of a city, destruction of an army. These creatures are intimidating, very intimidating. Now, another reason I think that fear often accompanies an angelic appearance is that angels are almost always bringing a message from God. That, that's what angels do as it relates to human beings. And often that message is in the form of a, of a command or a call. Uh, it's a command to do something or it's a command to stop doing something, or it's a call to change something. And when the call of God comes to any life, and by the way, the call of God comes to your life, frankly, every single day and mine as well, perhaps not by an angel, but you know, God is always engaging us, do this, stop this, heed my call, change this, you see. This is just how living and doing life with God is. There's God is always calling us. And anytime you receive a call or a word or a message like that, whether you're reading scripture or you're praying and a thought occurs to you, there are two, and I think only two possible responses. No, Lord, I am not going to do that. That's just too frightening. Or yes, Lord, thy will be done. And if you go down the no road, when you go down that road, that road is marked by fear, more and more fear, if you will. And we'll talk about that in a moment. If you go down the yes road, yes, Lord, your will be done. Always that road requires courage. Courage to face the fear. Uh, here's the deal. The type of impact your life will have depends on the road you choose. Yes or no, courage or fear. 
And we see this very thing played out in all of the characters that we come into contact with in the Christmas story. So I'm going to march through each one of the characters and kind of detail this for you. That's a joke, actually. I'm not going to do that. There's too many of them. But we do see this principle played out in the lives of every single uh, participant in the Christmas story. Particularly, we see this battle of fear and courage played out in the life of Joseph. This is Mary's husband. Joseph is told, for example, uh, Mary is pregnant. Your fiance is, but we don't know who told him that, but he finds out that Mary, his fiance is pregnant. And then scripture tells us this. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph would have understood that to mean God. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, the name Jesus means the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, we're going to back up for a second. Uh, for anybody, marriage, when you enter into it, is a sobering thing. It's a sobering commitment. Uh, I proposed to Holly, my wife, many years ago, uh, over 40 years ago, and uh, we were in college at the time and I went from where I was staying and I drove over to her dorm house where she and five other of her uh, dorm mates were living. And I asked her there uh, that evening to, uh, to marry me. And, you know, I did that because I am just so gifted at creating wonderfully romantic situations. <laughs> it was not very romantic, but uh, this was a big sobering thing to me. And I, I had been thinking about it and praying about it and pondering it for a long time. And I kind of wanted to get it done, you know? <laughs> and I knew when I went over there, there were two possibilities. She could say no, meaning not now, or maybe not never, <laughs> not ever. Uh, she could also say yes. And if I'm honest, I have to admit that that was almost as scary as having her say no. I mean, what if we get married and it's not like what I expected? What if something changes? What if I change? What if she changes? Uh, what if we get married and it's not perfect, you know? Getting married, among other things, is always an act of courage because it's going to mean change if you think about it. It's going to mean a lot of change and change always requires courage. But for Joseph... This marriage meant change on a, if you will, a whole different level. There's a lot going on here in this story. Joseph was a tzaddik is the word, a righteous man is what that means. Uh, that was Joseph's reputation, being a tzaddik, a righteous man. He was a keeper of the Torah, a keeper of the Jewish law. And he finds out that his fiance, Mary, is pregnant. And he's clear about one thing, and that is that he is not the father. And they live in this small town. If Joseph marries a pregnant girl, he is going to lose his reputation, lose his identity as a tzaddik, a righteous man. And so, again, if he does this, if he does what the angel is telling him to do, commanding him to do, he knows he is signing up for a world of change, a world of hurt, actually. 
The angel comes to Joseph and addresses him in, in a very striking way. The angel says to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. That's very deliberate, I think, very significant. I think the angel is reminding Joseph of his true identity. It's not rooted and grounded in the fact that everybody calls him a Sadiq. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. God does this all the time. He will do this to you. He will do this to me. He did this to Joseph. He reminds us of who we really are. What is our true identity? You are Joseph. And of course, that's a significant name. Joseph had been named after a great Old Testament hero, if you know the story. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Uh, his employer then later threw him into prison, unjustly so. And uh, Joseph went through a long process, many years of learning not to be afraid, regardless of the circumstances. Joseph went through a process of learning to say yes to God's call on his life. And he experienced a magnificent destiny. If you know anything about Joseph's life, you know that he became eventually the right-hand man of the Pharaoh himself, the supreme ruler, leader of Egypt. And uh, he was used by God to feed a nation. And what is more, he was used to literally save his own family who eventually moved to Egypt, save them from starvation. God greatly used Joseph because Joseph was willing to say yes, but the whole path to getting there was quite frightening at times, quite challenging at times. And Joseph had to learn to consistently say yes to God. And the angel says to Joseph here in our story, the Christmas story, you, uh, you are Joseph, but not just Joseph. You're also Joseph, the son of David. That's another very significant Old Testament hero. I mean, the stories of David as a young man, he's a shepherd boy, but he fought lions and he fought bears just to care for the sheep. He was willing to put his life on the line for the sheep. David is the guy, you know the story, he, he battled a giant for the glory, for the sake of God. Uh, he successfully evaded King Saul when Saul wanted to put him to death. How did he do that? Well, if you read the Psalms, you know he did that by trusting, trusting, trusting in fearful, frightening circumstances, trusting that God could deliver him. He didn't have to kill Saul himself. God would deliver him. David eventually, of course, becomes king of Israel. Let his country well, conquered its enemies, became its greatest king. You are Joseph, son of David. That is your identity, not what people say about you, not what people think of you. You are who I say you are. That's the message to Joseph. So when you are faced with God's calling, and we all are all the time, Will I do what God wants me to do? Will I do what I want to do? When you are faced with God's calling, saying yes or no to God, responding with courage versus fear, you have to remember who you are or you're likely going to make the wrong decision. You have to remember who you are. If you know who you are, you can live a life of courage. The angel says to Joseph, marry this woman. She's not a good candidate. She's with child. You know, this isn't going to look good on you, Joseph, but marry this woman. This woman is carrying the Messiah. I'm pretty sure Joseph would have understand that that was part of the implication here. 
Son of the Most High God was another uh, label given to this baby that Mary would carry. Marry this woman, raise this Messiah child, make your life matter by doing what God tells you to do. It will be a great adventure, great in quotes, right? Don't give in to fear. It's very interesting. We're told that Joseph had been considering rejecting this marriage. He was going to divorce Mary quietly. Now, the timing of this is fascinating to me because we read in Matthew 120, it says, but after he had considered this, after he's thinking about divorcing Mary quietly, after I'm sure the anxiety that was around all of that, do I, don't I, what do I do? How is this going to affect me? What about my reputation? What about my identity? The angel then comes to him and says, do not be afraid and engages in this conversation with him. Question, why did the angel come to him sometime after he finds out about Mary? Why didn't the angel just show up earlier and say, hey, heads up, Joseph, you're going to find out that Mary is pregnant. Let me explain, you know, just alleviate the anxiety from the get-go. Why didn't the angel come before? Why did the angel make Joseph wait and wonder and consider and wrestle Why didn't he tell Joseph what was going on long before any of it even happened? Why does the text deliberately tell us about when the angel shows up and announces this message? I'm glad you asked. I think it's because Joseph is going to have to fear. He's going to have to risk. He's going to have to process the unknown. He's going to have to wrestle with anxiety. He's going to have to wrestle with uncertainty all the rest of his life. God is preparing Joseph. God is growing him up right here before our very eyes as we read the text. We, we tend to think, you know, that courage means not having any fear. Actually, nothing could be further from the truth. Actually, the only people who can exercise courage are people who are afraid. Only that group can exercise courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. Uh, it's doing what God wants you to do in the presence of fear, uncertainty, you see. G.K. Chesterton, a great Christian writer, said this, courage is a strong desire to live taking the form of a readiness to die. That's pretty insightful, I think. You see, the truth is, as long as you live, God will keep putting you into places of risk so that you can learn to trust him and so that you can become a courageous person. And when you do that, when you exercise trust and you you operate out of courage, when you do that, you grow. You grow spiritually. Your character grows. And when you've grown, God will lead you into new places of risk and uncertainty. And there you will experience more fear. And you'll have to keep deciding yes or no, courage or fear. If you say yes, you'll be on another adventure. You'll be trusting God again and God will be growing you up. And then guess what? More uncertainty and then more fear. Fear will never go away. Not as long as you live here. And every time you grow, it will mean facing new fears. Isn't this exciting? Aren't you glad you came this morning to hear this message? (laughs) And yet I think it's the truth. So much of what happens to us in this life, so many of the decisions that we make, it's really all about learning to trust, keep believing, live in courage, say yes to God. 
You know, friends, you are a child of God if you follow Jesus. You are a son, a daughter of the King. That is your identity. Keep that in mind when the call of God comes to you. Will you obey or won't you? You see, you cannot grow courage by just listening to talks about courage. You can only grow courage by trusting God, by obeying God, by putting your faith into action. And so it was with Joseph. He had to put his faith in action. He says yes. And he takes Mary into his home. They become husband and wife. And they live happily ever after, right? <laughs> not, not quite. You know, it's not very long after Jesus is born. It might have been as long as two years. It might have been actually earlier than that. That this message comes to Joseph. This angel, Joseph had to know that every time an angel was coming, something was up. You know, this is a big deal. Uh-oh, watch out. This time the angel comes and says, get up, take the child and his mother, escape to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. For Herod, Herod the Great, is going to search for the child to kill him. No fear there. Joseph learns that Herod the Great, this is the most powerful man in Joseph's world at that time, living on earth, right? This man is out to destroy the child whom Joseph is supposed to name Jesus, the Lord saves, and protect. And so Joseph and his family do what they should do. They run away, run away, you know. And they live in Egypt. We're not really sure how long. Could have been as little as a few months. Could have been a lo as long as possibly two years at the outside. But a significant amount of time. They're living in Egypt. And then we read that Herod dies. And an angel comes to Joseph again and tells him to now return to Judea. But we read this, when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father, Herod, and Archelaus was another really dangerous, really bad, bad guy. It says that he was afraid. Joseph was afraid to go there, more fear. Having been warned in a dream, I guess another angel, or maybe this is just a vision, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. That's why they wound up living where they lived. More fear, more risk. More challenge, more change, more courage, more growth. Truth is, Joseph lives in constant change, risk, having to trust, you know, danger, growth, etc. That's the cycle of Joseph's life. That's also really the cycle of our own. I would wager too that, that Joseph experienced uh, fear, fears of all kinds. He, he probably... Um, this is kind of reading between the lines, but he probably experienced the fear of just becoming a parent. Have you had that fear? Uh, when you have a child, you feel this great surge of love. You know, it's amazing how it just comes over you. You don't create it, it just happens. But at the same time, you might have also experienced a tremendous surge of fear along the way, realizing that you were going to have to take care of this little blob of tissue and you were going to have to raise it. And what if you mess up? And what if your spouse messes them up? Or what if they, as they grow, mess you up? I mean, it's really kind of fearful. And the point I'm just trying to make is that no parent fully succeeds at the parenting thing. Not a one of us. Every parent knows the fear of parenting failures. 
Imagine the pressure raising Jesus. Golly. If you get something wrong, if you lose your temper, if you use a bad word. I mean, Joseph was a carpenter, for goodness sake. You're hammering away, you smash your thumb, gee, and he's standing right there. <laughs> Whoops. The sinless son of God is standing right there. It's just interesting too to me that in all the Christmas story, Jesus never speaks. Not in all the Bible. Everybody else in the Christmas story does speak. Everybody else. Mary, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Herod the Great, the shepherds, the wise men, Simeon, the old lady who was there in the, they all speak. They all speak. Joseph alone is silent, not a word. Maybe he was a quiet man, I don't know. Maybe he was kind of shy, kind of timid. We don't know, of course. I'll tell you what we do know. What we do know is that he just keeps doing whatever God calls him to do. As far as we know, every time. God grant me the courage to change the things I can. Joseph was courageous in the face of fear. Here's a key, I think, for you and me. Whenever we're afraid, whenever we are faced with God calling us to follow him, calling us to obey him, maybe uh, even when that decision looks risky or feels scary to us, when you have to decide yes or no, courage or fear, it's vitally important you keep in mind this one thing. You know, the angel gives Joseph the reason, the reason not to give in to his fear. He gives Joseph exactly what he needs along the way to keep saying yes to God. And it's important we note this. It's easy to miss, I think, or to read over it. We read in Matthew 1, it says, Joseph again, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That had to be shocking. So really shocking to Joseph. What is conceived in her is from God. Woo, okay, wow. Okay, special kid. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves. That's who this child is gonna be. Because you see, he will save his people and that Joseph means you because you're one of my people. This child, Joseph, is going to save you from their sins, from your sins, Joseph. That's a key piece of information. The message to Joseph was, the Lord saves is with you, Joseph. Jesus is with you. You will not be alone, not at any part of your journey. You will not be alone. You don't face these decisions alone. The call is not, hey, Joseph, you need to conjure up some courage, get tough. The message to Joseph was, if you do what God calls you to do, 
Jesus will be with you. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Joseph was one of the first to hear those words. And today, if we're really honest and our eyes and ears are open, those words come to us all the time. Jesus is with you. Don't be afraid. The Lord saves. And so question, question for all of us this weekend, I think, is where does God want to give me courage to change? Where do I need to change? Where is it that I need courage in order to make the decisions that I need to make to follow him, to obey him, to say yes to God? Where do I get the courage to forgive someone I need to forgive, to serve someone I need to serve, or to share my faith with someone who needs to know about you? Where do I get the courage to do the things that God wants me to do? Where does God want to give me courage to change? Here is a, a cool story about change. Uh, I want you to take a look. In 2010, my doctor told me to buy a funeral plot because I would need one within the next five years. But I'm still here because a shelter dog saved my life. When people see a photo of who I was five years ago, they, they can't and often don't believe that it's me. My weight had crept up to 340 pounds. My blood pressure was through the roof, super high cholesterol. I had type two diabetes and I was taking over a thousand dollars worth of medications a month. And I, I just felt really uncomfortable around other people. I became separated from society and I just stopped living. I went on a business trip. You know how small airplane seats are. I could barely squeeze into one and basically I'd spill over both uh, sides. They had to delay the flight because they didn't have a seatbelt extension that would fit me. There was a gentleman next to me and he just looked in complete disgust and he looked at me and he goes, I'm gonna miss my connection because you're too fat. That really was my, uh, my bottom point. That's the point that I, I really decided that, you know, I'm either gonna die or I have to do something. I looked in the phone book and I found a nutritionist near me. One of the first things that she asked me to do was to go adopt a shelter dog. It would force me to go outside. It would force me to become more socially interactive. So I, I went to the local shelter and I remember telling the lady, I would like a, an obese middle-aged dog so that I would have something in common with him. And when I walked into the room, we both looked at each other with like a look of, really? I took him home that night. Neither of us knew what to expect. And over a period of time, we really formed an inseparable bond and one that I'd never really experienced with another person or animal or anybody. We began walking for at least a half an hour a day, every day. And over the course of a year, just by changing what I ate and walking with Petey, I lost about 140 uh, plus pounds. Everything about my life improved. I got off all meds. I, I no longer have type two diabetes. Petey also lost about 25 pounds, so we did it together. It was like a miracle. There you go. Ooh, hi, Petey. 
So I, I read over Petey's paperwork when I adopted him, and it turns out that he was left alone in a backyard and uh, nobody played with him. He'd had arthritis and all kinds of rashes and his skin was just itching all the time. He was wondering what would ever happen to him. He'd gone from being in a situation like I was where he didn't have any friends and he didn't know anybody and really became a proud dog. Petey ready for the next stop? Petey's a good boy. Beyond unconditional love. Yum, peanut butter. Petey taught me absolute loyalty. He looked at me in every sense as though I was the greatest person on the planet. I decided that I wanted to be the person who he thought I was. One of the things that I dreamed of doing was running a, a full marathon, and he looked at me like, you can do it, and I went out and I did it. This entire process brought me out of my shell and made me a different person. I knew that he was getting old and his time was coming. They discovered a really large cancerous growth on his spleen and there was really nothing that they could do. I knew that he was gonna die. I uh, just lay with him on the floor. He just looked at me and I could tell that the life had just passed out of him. And that was the end. And I just sat there and I held him. I loved him so much. I just was so sad and, you know, I'm still not over it. About six months later, after a, a race, suddenly just came into my mind, just drive over to the shelter right now, and I did. There was a dog that had been put in the adoption pen four minutes earlier. His photo wasn't on the wall, he wasn't on the website, and I just looked at him, and he looked at me, and he went, it was like, dude, let's get out of here. <laughs> Jake is a completely different dog. Jake loves to play and we started training and he now runs 10 mile distances with me and we're gonna do our, our first half marathon together. He's the best running buddy I could possibly have. So really, Thanks to Petey, I wake up every day wanting to be the best person that I can possibly be. He completely transformed me into a different person. I think about it now, who rescued whom? I mean, did I rescue him or did he rescue me? Pretty unbelievable story, so why in the world am I showing to, to you on a Sunday morning? Uh, what I want you all to do today is to go to a dog shelter <laughs> and rescue a dog. I mean, that's the point, right? <laughs> not, not really. Not really at all. There's actually a whole lot more to this story than is told in that video. This is not really a, 
exactly a great dog story, although it is a great dog story. It's actually a great God story. Uh, there's a gal by the name of Carol Novello who actually made that film, met Eric O'Gray, and, um, and in the process, a long process, uh, she kind of got the whole story out of him. The night of that plane ride that Eric describes that he talked about, uh, he got home that night and he was filled with incredible self-loathing, he shared, and, and a tremendous amount of pain, and he did something he had actually never done before, and that is he prayed. And he prayed to God and asked God to kill him. That's how low he had gotten. And he shares that the next thing that he remembered was there, there was this intense feeling that came over him. And it was a, a feeling that, was, uh, that made him think he was in the very presence of God. When he woke up the next morning, he decided he needed to know more about God. He went and got a Bible. It was a good move. And this guy who had never gone to church before and never prayed now had a Bible and he read it cover to cover in one month. When he got to the end of the Bible, he had another similar experience, this intense, overwhelming feeling that he was in the presence of God. And this time he decided that what he needed to do was to surrender his life to God. And that is what he did. He put his faith in Jesus. And when he woke up the next morning, he says he didn't want to die, <laughs> not anymore. He felt like he had a purpose. He had a long way to go and a lot of weight to lose and a new relationship with a dog and so on and so forth. But he knew also he wanted to do life, however much of it was left to him, with Jesus. And it's interesting. God actually did answer, I think, Eric's prayer. God, kill me. Because the old Eric did die, didn't it? And that old Eric needed to die. You see, friends, that is actually a truth about all of us. There's an old Dwayne. Uh, there's an old you. And that old you believes many things that are just not true, does many things that are hurtful, that are harmful. Sometimes that old you believes things like, hey, I'm great, I'm awesome, I can do no wrong, I'm king of the world, or at least I should be, I'm powerful, I'm stupendous, I'm an achiever, I'm God. <laughs> and those kinds of beliefs will get you into just as much trouble as believing I'm a failure, I don't matter, I can't do anything right, at least anything that matters, I'm a nobody. Nobody loves me, nobody should. Here's the thing, beliefs like that are a lie. They're a lie of the evil one. And here's the thing, our God is so good, he wants us to know the truth. And this is why Jesus, the son of the most high God came to earth. This is why he became a man. This is, this is what the Christmas thing is about. He came to live in ways that would show us who God really is just by looking at Jesus. And he came to die because of who we really are. I mean, we really are sinful and broken and we really do need fixing spiritually morally, emotionally, 
relationally, intellectually, and the fix is in the cross. The fix is in the cross. On the cross, Jesus paid for my sin and yours. On the cross, Jesus took my punishment, the punishment I deserved, and yours. And once Jesus had hung on the cross and died there, he opened the way for me to know God, the one true God, and to follow that God. That was the result of Jesus' death on the cross. And of course, he didn't stay dead. He came back from the dead, we, we believe, to demonstrate that he had succeeded, that sin and death really had been overcome and conquered. And because these things are true, really, really true, there is no reason to fear anymore. We can do life with Jesus. We can say yes to God. We can live with courage. For Joseph, at the moment of his greatest fear, wow, what is this going to mean that my fiance is pregnant? The angel comes to him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. And when he says, yes, Lord, your will be done. That was the beginning of great change in Joseph's life. He, he learned to depend no longer on what other people thought of him or what reputation he thought he had earned in their eyes. He learned that what mattered most was doing life with Jesus. That was the beginning of his adventure. Where does your adventure need to begin? Where do you need to ask God for courage right now? You know, maybe like Eric, you need to ask Jesus to come into your life. Maybe you need a spiritual transformation. That's what happens when Jesus comes into our lives. Or maybe for you, there's stuff like anger bottled up in you and you're not even always sure why, but you need courage to address that. Maybe you need a counselor to help you. Maybe it's in the area of money. Maybe money means too much to you or maybe not enough, I, I don't know. Maybe it's some sin in your life that you hide that you really haven't confessed, haven't brought out into the open and therefore haven't begun to deal with. Maybe it's getting help with someone where you have been, some place where you have been defeated, a habit, an addiction. Or maybe it's in a marriage. Maybe you're in a marriage that needs renewal, needs resurrection. And you need the courage to talk to someone who can help. Maybe it's taking the time to serve others. Maybe your life is too much about yourself and what you wanna do and not enough about the needs of others. Maybe it's your health. Maybe you're looking and staring at something right now that's just, it's scary. And you need God to give you courage to move into that and through that. Do you understand that God is in the courage providing business? 
He sent his son Jesus to break us free from the bondage of fear and from the bondage of not saying no to God and going down the path which leads to a great destiny. I, I love that moment when Eric said that he looked at Petey and Petey the dog looked at him, he said, with love, which I would just add, yeah, you don't know that. But anyway, you know, and, and Eric said, I mean, dogs are dumb, but it, anyway, <laughs> Eric said, you know, I wanted to be the man my dog thinks I am. <laughs> Nobody ever wants to be the man that their cat thinks they are. Do you know why? Because cats know you're pathetic. Yeah. But we digress. Here's the thing. When you look into, metaphorically, when you look into the eyes of Jesus, when you get to know him, when you understand why he came and why he died and why he rose again from the dead, you enter into Jesus' kingdom and you begin to understand very deeply in a transforming kind of way that you matter, you matter to him. And you discover that the hunger you have for that unconditional love, that hunger can only be satisfied in Jesus. His love for you is unconditional. And I'll tell you, friends, Jesus wants us all to surrender ourselves day to day to day to him. To follow him. To really be a disciple, that means learner. Somebody who's always learning about him, always trusting in him more. Because you see, that is where the real adventure is. And there in Jesus, you will find the courage to take the risks that you should take, to trust, to do what seems impossible, to move into and through those things that fear, cause fear in you. That's what we see in the lives of every one of the characters in the Christmas story who said yes to God. And I don't know what you're facing and I don't know what you're afraid of, but I know that Jesus is in the courage providing business. Pray with me. Father, you know for everybody here uh, where it is that they need courage. And I pray that you will bring far beyond human capacity, the knowledge that Jesus is present to each and every one of us. And if Jesus is here with us, then Jesus can help us face anything, anything that life has to throw at us. God, may Jesus be born again in everybody who is listening to these words. Give us the courage to change what you want us to change, Lord, to say yes, yes to Jesus. This we pray in his name. Amen. I would just encourage you, if, if you have made a, a decision of some sort to commit yourself to the life of Jesus, tell a friend. You gotta tell somebody. That's something to celebrate. If you wanna tell us, you can use the card that's in front of you there and just indicate, you know, I, I decided to surrender. And if you tell us that, we'd rejoice with you. We'll pray for you. We'll do anything we can to help you grow in faith in Jesus.